Supplementary numbers 8 and 23. The first division prize pool is $1.6 million. Repeating those winning numbers, 11, 17, 20, 22, 28 and 36. The supplementary numbers 8 and 23. Melbourne's weather, cool and cloudy with some rain later, a gale warning for the bays. And the Bureau warns that there'll be increased driving hazards because of the squally northerly wind. An expected top temperature of 16. In the city, it's 11 degrees. ABC News, three alone regionals. It's 8 o'clock. And here at the great Anglican Cathedral St. Paul's, a big congregation has assembled to participate in this public funeral service for the late Peter Evans. The casket rests draped in a pall in the nave sanctuary at the foot of the nave altar. A tribute of long thin roses from his family overseas rests against the casket. And there are many floral tributes on the steps leading into the cathedral from Swanston Street. Notable among mourners present this morning are the Honourable Steve Crabb, Minister for Employment and Industrial Affairs, representing the State Government of Victoria, Mr Roger Shipton, MHR, who represents the leader of the Federal Opposition, Mr Andrew Peacock. Mr Jeff Kennett is here, leader of the Opposition in the Victorian Parliament. Also Mr Peter Ross Edwards, the leader of the National Party in Victoria. And from ABC Management, Mr Malcolm Long, the Director of Radio, Mr Malcolm Rowlands, the General Manager for the ABC in Victoria, Mr Peter Loxton, the Radio Manager for Victoria, and uh, Mr Tony Wells, the Manager for Television in Victoria. As far as I can see from this quite good vantage point, the cathedral is filled, and I'm told that there are people standing outside as well. The assistant organist of the cathedral, Mr. Andrew Bainbridge, has been playing a series of Bach chorales prior to the start of the service. The organist for the service itself will be the cathedral organist, June Nixon. Lessons are to be read by Mary Adams of 3LO and Keith Glover, longtime friend and colleague of... And also, Mr. Adrian Collette of the Victorian State Opera will be singing Travelling the King's Highway. One of Peter's favourite songs and his accompanist will be the ABC's Kevin Hocking. Clergy officiating today, the Reverend Albert McPherson, the presenter of St Paul's Cathedral. The Dean of the Cathedral, the Right Reverend James Grant. The Archbishop of Melbourne, the Most Reverend David Penman. And pallbearers will be Keith Glover, Len Grice, who, of course, are long-time announcing colleagues of Peter Evans, Terry Lane and Michael Schildberger, who worked on air with Peter at half past seven each morning, and Barry McLaughlin and Mr. Ray Moore, who are technical operators who've worked with Peter for a number of years. The clergy and choir now enter the cathedral from the south transept, led by the crucifer, and followed by the choir, the verger, the presenter, the 
dean and the archbishop. The presenter moves to his stall on the left side of the choir. The dean escorts the archbishop to his seat in the presbytery, which is just in front of the high altar communion rails. And the dean moves to his stall on the right. Congregation now standing, and the service will begin with the hymn, Now Thank We All Our God.
Beloved, we come together to mourn the passing from this life of Peter Evans, to honor his memory, to reverently commit his mortal body to its rest, above all to give thanks for the fullness of his life. We give thanks for his skill and sincerity as a broadcaster, for his gifts of communicating with his fellow men and women, for his sense of humor, and for his honesty in exposing hypocrisy and sham for his ability to use his knowledge in commenting upon our society and community and to touch the hearts and minds of ordinary men and women. And for his courage in these last days of pain and illness. We come also to express our sympathy with those very many who mourn his passing conscious of their loss and pray that they may find support and strength in the days to come. Whilst we stand, we pray. Bring us, O Lord, at our last awakening into the house and gate of heaven to enter into that gate and dwell in that house where there shall be no darkness nor dazzling but one equal light no noise nor silence, but one equal music. No fears nor hopes, but one equal possession. No ends nor beginnings, but one equal eternity. In the habitation of thy majesty and thy glory, world without end. Amen. The choir will now sing Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, can I lack nothing?
Miss Mary Adams will now read the lessons. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. A time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek, and a time to lose. A time to keep, and a time to cast away. A time to rend, and a time to sow. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. A time to love, and a time to hate. A time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the sons of men to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's mind. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Choir will now sing the anthem, Doubt Not Thy Father's Care.
Before I share the next two verses with you, you might well note that they're headed, let this be my parting word. And as we are met here today to remember our esteemed colleague, those of us who worked with Peter Evans for some 20 years, remember to our cost amongst the broadcasting fraternity that very often we had to suffer the parting word because he always made sure that he got the last word in. But he was also a man of the world. He loved his adopted country. He had wonderful stories to tell of his beloved England. He reminded us in true Welsh style where his name came from by describing himself as Evans the Wireless. And uh, he loved his work in earlier days when there was time to do it with Radio Australia. He was truly a man of the world. And these verses have been deliberately chosen today as most fitting ones from a great Indian poet and author, a man who won the Nobel Prize for Literature before World War I, Rabindranath Tagore. And his words, let this be my parting word. When I go from hence, let this be my parting word, that what I have seen is unsurpassable. I have tasted of the hidden honey of this lotus that expands on the ocean of light, and thus am I blessed. Let this be my parting word. In this playhouse of infinite forms, I've had my play, and here I've caught sight of him that is formless, my whole body and my limbs have thrilled with his touch, who is beyond touch. And if the end comes here, let it come. Let this be my parting word. Now moving to the microphone, Mr. Adrian Collette of the Victorian State Opera to sing one of Peter Evans' favorite songs. Oh! 
Nice? It's the only thing, said Ratty. Believe me, young Mole, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, half so much worth doing as messing about in boats. Simply messing about, in or out of them, it doesn't matter. Nothing seems really to matter because that's the charm of it. Whether you get away or whether you don't, whether you arrive at your destination or whether you reach somewhere else, or whether you never get anywhere at all, you're always busy and you never do anything in particular. And when you've done it, there's always something else to do. It's no wonder that Peter loved the wind in the willows because nobody ever said it better than Ratty. Every morning we were privileged to go messing about in the mind of Evans, never getting anywhere, never doing anything in particular, always busy, but not caring if we arrived at our destination or at somewhere else altogether. And at a quarter to eight, you'd be hard pressed to remember where it was you'd started. You certainly would have no idea where you had been and you'd be pretty confused about where exactly you had arrived. But for those of us here today and for the thousands who are listening to this broadcast, that messing about in the mind of Evans wasn't just nice. For us, it was the only way to start the day. To work with Peter and to be identified with him in any way on air was to enjoy instant fame. You only have to ask Jeannie or Barry or Alan, Jonesy, Michael or Paula what is the single question that they have been asked more than any other question by total strangers when they are first introduced to them and I can tell you what they'll say, it was always the same. What is Peter Evans really like? Well, here's an attempt at an answer. First and foremost, he was exactly what he sounded like. 
There was no pretense or special performance for the microphone. He was exactly the man you heard. You may find that hard to believe that anybody could be so opinionated, cynical, pedantic, misanthropic and disgruntled. But by some miraculous alchemy of the spirit, he turned every one of those vices into a virtue. And the philosopher's stone, as it were, that changed the dross into the precious metal of Peter Evans was an amalgam of honesty and humour. Every day, Peter lived his life before the microphone. And that was what made him special, because it was like actually having another member of the family for breakfast, telling us about his joys and disappointments and sharing his jokes and his memories. Every morning we would go up the Amazon, around the body corporate, through the air conditioning system of Studio 300. We shared his profound disappointment when it was only 31 in Parabadu, and his intense pleasure when it was 42. If you don't know by now that the train from Adelaide is the overland and not the overlander, then you simply have not been paying attention. As Len Grice said to me earlier, Peter would have loved this, but he would never have come. <laughs> but not everything in Peter's life was perfect, as we know. Because out of his honesty, he even shared with us the pain of his love for Neva, his daughter. And I think that there was not one of us who would not have done anything that we could to have healed the hurt. But of course it was beyond us. And his closest friends here today know that they had to cope daily with that difficult contradiction of the hard shell and the terribly tender and vulnerable interior. Peter was a pessimistic romantic. He was often disappointed but never surprised. Peter Evans was also, quite simply and unequivocally, the best broadcaster I have ever heard. He had a beautiful voice, he had an easy and natural way in the studio that I admired and envied. And Mary summed up the esteem in which Peter is held when she said on Monday, we even listened to him when we weren't on duty. And there's no higher tribute that one broadcaster can pay another. No matter how outrageous or infuriating he was, we came back every day eager to hear more. Now sometimes you'll remember he even surprised himself when he allowed his stream of consciousness meanderings to be sidetracked by something even more outrageous, inconsequential and absurd than the mainstream. And do you remember how he used to come up to a dead end and he'd sheepishly apologise and say, sorry folks. And you'd always want to call back to him through the wireless, don't apologise, it was marvellous. Well, here he is at the final sidetrack and I fancy I can hear him saying, sorry folks. And we all want to say, don't apologise. It was marvellous. But you never did get around to joining Procrastinators Anonymous. Peter once said he wouldn't mind crossing the bar with these lines of Tennyson. Sunset and evening star, and one clear call for me. And may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea. Twilight and evening bell, and after that the dark. And may there be no sadness of farewell when I embark. For though from out our bourne of time and place the flood may bear me far, I hope to see my pilot face to face when I have crossed the bar.
Farewell, Peter Evans. Go to your lighthouse across the bay, and God be with you. Amen. Terry Lane now leaves the pulpit, and the prayers will be led by the Right Reverend James Grant, Dean of Melbourne. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. Christ, have mercy upon us. Lord, have mercy upon us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever Amen. let us keep silence for a space as we each remember with thanksgiving and affection Peter Evans, ah, Peter Evans. Father of all, we pray to you for Peter, of all those we love but see no longer. Grant to them eternal rest, let light perpetual shine upon them. May his soul and the souls of all the departed rest in peace. And in your loving wisdom and almighty power, work in them the good purpose of your perfect will. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, Father of all mercies and giver of all comfort, Deal graciously, we pray, with those who mourn, that casting all their care on you, they may know the consolation of your love, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, you proclaim your truth in every age by many voices. Direct in our time, we pray, those who speak where many listen, and write what many read, that they may do their part in making the heart of this people wise, its mind sound, and its will righteous, to the honour of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.
peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son Jesus Christ our Lord and the blessing of God Almighty the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always Give rest, O Christ, to your servant with your saints, where sorrow and pain are no more, neither sighing, but life everlasting. You only are immortal, the creator and maker of mankind. We are mortal, formed of the earth, and to earth shall we return. For so did you ordain when you created us, saying, You are dust, and to dust you shall return. All of us go down to the dust, yet even at the grave we make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Give rest, O Christ, to your servant with your saints, where sorrow and pain are no more, neither sighing, but life everlasting. Into your hands, O merciful Saviour, we commend your servant Peter, acknowledge we humbly beseech you, a sheep of your own fold, a lamb of your own flock, a sinner of your own redeeming. Receive him into the arms of your mercy, into the blessed rest of everlasting peace, and into the glorious company of the saints in light. Amen. Clergy now move into the aisle to precede the casket. removed from the casket. The roses are now laid atop it. Slowly the casket is turned. clergy preceded down the aisle. The pallbearers I mentioned earlier are not physically carrying the casket. It's being carried by undertaker's assistance.
leave the cathedral by the great west door. And the choir, which has already moved down the aisle, will then return immediately to the vestry. Paul Bearers, Keith Glover, Terry Lane, Barry McLaughlin, Michael Schildberger, Ray Moore, and Lynn Grice. forgetting, of course, Peter's very able assistant, Jeannie James, one of the chief mourners here today. Mention should be made, too, that Peter's daughter, Neva, was able to visit her father immediately after his heart attack in April, and she will be sent a copy of this service. Now you hear the muffled bells as the service comes to an end. Ringing half muffled. And this will continue as the casket leaves this cathedral of St. Paul. Congregation of mourners now moves slowly from the pews and mingles with the crowd which has gathered outside. to the funeral service of the late Peter Evans which was held on July the 24th at St Paul's Anglican Cathedral in Melbourne. The cathedral organist, Jude Nixon, is playing Nimrod from the Enigma Variations by Sir Edward Elgar. The commentator was Graham Evans. Production for the ABC was by Neil Gill with technical production by Jerry McKechnie and also Ross Smith. Next Sunday at this time, be sure to listen to our usual program, Encounter, which features the competitive Christian. This program examines the relationship between Christianity and competition in three spheres, sport, politics, and business and economic life. That's Encounter at 8 o'clock next Sunday morning.
Claude Warelli and Maurice Albert's feelings. 11 and a half to 9, Melbourne's 3 low. Let's briefly have a, a look at the weather for Melbourne. Cool and cloudy with a squally northerly wind with some rain developing later today or tonight with the wind moderating and tending northwesterly a top of 16 expected. It's 12 degrees in Melbourne at the moment and blowing a gale. Outlook for tomorrow Monday, cool with a few showers. If you missed the cricket score, England 448, 46, giving them a lead of 191. And Craig McDermott, uh, the successful bowler, taking five wickets. And apparently rain is forecast for uh, tomorrow night, our time, when play is due to get underway again. Here's Linda Ronstadt, Melbourne's three low. Bye. 
Linda Rostep and Blue Bayou, the old Roy Orbison song. It's moving along now to 7 to 9, Melbourne's 3 low, and uh, it's currently uh, 11 degrees here in Melbourne. And Canberra today, expecting a fine day and 12 degrees. Hobart also fine and 12. Newcastle fine and 17. Sydney fine, also 17. Brisbane fine and 21. Darwin fine and 31. Perth showers and 17. And Adelaide a shower at 2, 19. So it looks like a, a drop of rain around the southern states of Australia, but uh, fine in the northern areas. We're not supposed to give cheerios here, but I'd like to give a special one to me mum, who's not so well at the moment. Get well, the old twit. Here's a couple of stories here. Angry dairy farmers uh, have refused to remove pickets from milk processing plants around Victoria. The decision made at meetings of rebel farmers in the Goulburn Valley, Gippsland and other country areas last night defies a decision made yesterday by the United Dairy Farmers of Victoria. A spokesman and leader of Victoria's last milk blockade, dairy farmer Mr David Everest, says this morning that the pickets would be left in place until a special meeting of the Association Central Council in Melbourne this afternoon. Council members will try to change the UDF decision to abandon blockades. The UDV District Council President in Gippsland, Mr Graham Anderson, says farmers want a full explanation of yesterday's talks. He says farmers feel they achieved nothing more than a promise of talks with Mr Walker next Tuesday. Mr Anderson says the UDV Central Council called off the blockade without winning any concessions from the government on its claim for a guaranteed price for manufactured milk. And there'll be further talks today aimed at resolving the state's major petrol dispute that has led to rationing. ACTU Secretary Mr Bill Kelty for the first time will join the talks with the Industrial Relations Minister Mr Crabb and representatives from the oil industry and the Federated Ironworkers Association. The FIA members have imposed bans at Shell's Geelong refinery in support of a claim for a $9.70 experience allowance. Shell produces nearly 45% of the state's petrol needs. A second dispute by Stormont and Packers has cut supplies to Ampol and Total service stations. And fire has destroyed the large administration block at the Yarram High School, causing more than half a million dollars damage to a gymnasium, art room and a hall in the building. The fire broke out at about two o'clock and had such a firm grip when the firemen arrived, it took them an hour to bring it under control. None of the classrooms were damaged. The cause of the fire is still being investigated. And police say that they fear for the safety of a 15-year-old girl suffering from hepatitis. And she's missing from her Elwood home and has been missing for more than a week. Her name is Shobi Ampalan and was last seen at a home in Ormond Road, Elwood, last Friday week. Shobi is 159 centimetres tall and was wearing jeans, a blue and white T-shirt and has tattoos on both her upper arms. Anyone knowing the girl's whereabouts is asked to contact St Kilda Police or the Missing Persons Bureau at Russell Street headquarters. The government's plan to reduce the police retirement age from 57 to 55 has been described as hopelessly inadequate. The Secretary of the Police Association, Chief Inspector Tom Rippon, says police will continue to push instead for retirement after 30 years' service on full pay because of the stressful nature of police work. The 55-year retirement age is part of new employment conditions announced by the government yesterday. Included is the introduction of a 38-hour week. It claims will relieve much of the stress. The government says it will recruit an extra 400 police over the next two years. But Inspector Rippon says police will press for further changes to the early retirement scheme. 
And finally, the Consumer Affairs Department is keeping a watch on the increasing number of clubs and organisations which sell their membership lists to direct marketing operations. The Minister for Consumer Affairs, Mr Spiker, says while there's no law to stop the clubs, he's asked his department to monitor the practice. He says clubs should ask their members permission before releasing their names. One target of the Minister's criticism are VFL clubs which revealed they had sold their lists recently to marketing organisations without their members' permission. That's a few uh, local stories which you may have been interested in. Once again, briefly, the weather for Melbourne is for windy conditions with rain later and for tomorrow, cool with a few showers. It's uh, 12 degrees in Melbourne at the moment. It's two and a half minutes to nine. Let's have a little hot butter. That's all the 9 o'clock news. Then Laurie Bruce along, and uh, Laurie has today um, Tom Ryan reviewing the new Mad Max movie, Beyond Thunderdome. Uh, Sheila Scott will be along to reveal details of a, a gala benefit concert in September for the Victorian State Opera Foundation. Writer-director Andre Wright also will discuss her film, Don't Call Me Girly. And at half past ten, we'll be crossing live to White City for more on the Davis Cup tennis. This is the reverse singles. We have to win both of them to uh, stay in this year's Davis Cup. And good music too with Laurie right until uh, half past ten when we cross for the Davis Cup. Incidentally, um, I think perhaps uh, Richard Peach's uh, program may uh, not be broadcast today, just depending on if the, uh, they have rain or perhaps something like that up there. But uh, Brian Haddon may get a little bit of a, a look in. He'll be talking to Kevin Johnson, who's just released a new album called In the Spirit of the Times. So that's the line-up here on Melbourne 308. Time for me to say bye. Thanks for joining us again this morning. I look forward to your company again uh, next Saturday morning between 9 and 10. Keep those cards and letters coming in with the, with the poems. This week, our uh, topic is South African cricket. You can take any point of view you like. We'll read the best of them in Poets' Corner next Saturday morning between 9 and 10. The address to write to is Poets' Corner, Post Office Box 9994. And don't forget to put on uh, the front of the envelope or the back of the envelope, South African, South African cricket. So I know exactly which it is. And you can, of course, still uh, write poems in about uh, everyday topics. Any topic that takes your fancy, love to hear from you. Between 14 and 20 lines. Can't read too long at once. Take up the whole program. Anyway, till next time, this is John Reed. Goodbye now. Time is exactly nine o'clock, and that's time for the news and Laurie Bruce. ABC News, read by Anne Dunn. In South Africa, hundreds of black people have attended a mass funeral in the Eastern Cape area in defiance of a government ban. Eyewitness accounts say at least 10 coffins were taken into a church in a black township outside Port Elizabeth despite government orders under South Africa's state of emergency that only one person at a time can be buried. Police stood by as more than a thousand people packed the church, raised banners and chanted freedom slogans. 
The Prime Minister, Mr Hawke, is flying to the Cook Islands this morning for the annual South Pacific Forum, which this year will debate a compromise proposal for a nuclear-free zone. More than 20 people have been killed and almost 200 injured in a train crash in southwestern France. The accident occurred when an express train packed with holidaymakers crashed head-on into a local train on a single track 150 kilometres southeast of Bordeaux. Cricket and torrential rain over the Old Trafford ground in Manchester has cut short play test, with England holding a comfortable first innings lead over Australia. In reply to the Australian total of 257, England resumed at 3 for 233 and at the close of play was 6 for 448. Tennis and Paul McNamee and John Fitzgerald must hit top form today if Australia is to win the Davis Cup quarter-final against Paraguay. The home team goes into today's reverse singles, two rubbers to one down. In today's first match, McNamee faces Pecci with Fitzgerald playing Gonzalez in the final match. Australia's chances of winning the Admiral's Cup yachting series in England have slumped because of rigging failures to two of its yachts in the heavy weather channel race. With Challenge 3 being dismasted and Drake's prayer going close to losing her mast near the finish, Australia has slipped from 5th to 7th in team standings. ABC News. We'll have more ABC News in brief at 10 o'clock. Good morning, welcome to The Sunday Show. I'm Laurie Bruce with you until 10.28 because we'll be crossing to White City for the Davis Cup, the reverse singles. At that time, your commentators will be Clark Hansen and John O'Reilly. So we've rearranged our Sunday morning slightly. Tom Ryan will be in to review the new Mad Max movie, Beyond Thunderdome, which has already drawn thunderous reviews in America, very favourable reviews. It starts next Thursday in Melbourne. Sheila Scott is coming in to tell us about a gala benefit concert in September for the Victoria State Opera. I'll be talking to writer-director Andre Wright just after 10 o'clock about her fine film, Don't Call Me Girly, about women in Australian films. And Roland Rocicelli will be here shortly to review the first part of Ray Lawler's The Doll Trilogy, Kid Stakes. <laughs>
Pretend, Al Jarreau, and it's seven minutes past nine. Twelve degrees, sixteen is our forecast maximum. Cool and cloudy, a squally northerly wind, some rain developing later today or tonight with the wind moderating and tending northwesterly. And the outlook for tomorrow, cool with a few showers. The 3rd Military District Band will be playing a selection of Percy Granger compositions at the Performing Arts Museum in the Melbourne Concert Hall at two this afternoon. It's in conjunction with the exhibition, The Three Faces of Percy Granger, on display at the museum until the end of September. And there's a free play reading in the Westpac Gallery in the theatres. This is under the spire on St Kilda Road, the theatres of the Victorian Arts Centre. And this is at two this afternoon. Playwright David Allen will be reading his play, Moderate Expectations, in which he depicts author Charles Dickens as a god who cannot come to terms with his own mortality. Things going on in the Victorian Arts Centre. Now a song from Elaine Page and Barbara Dixon. I know him so well. Then we'll hear from Roland Roccicelli reviewing Kid Stakes, the first of the Dull Trilogy, Ray Lawler's marvellous trilogy, which is on at the Athenaeum. Temperatures up to 13 degrees in Melbourne. 16, the forecast maximum. <laughs> Yeah. 
far too long Looking back I could have played it differently Welcome to our theatre review on Melbourne's 3 Yellow Sunday morning. Roland Roccicelli is with me. Good morning, Roland. Good morning, Larry. Well, you've been to see Kid Stakes, the first of the Doll trilogy by Ray Lawler with the MTC. Absolutely, and what a treat it is. I, I think they are probably my three favourite Australian plays. I, mm. I think that uh, Kid Stakes, Other Times and The Summer of the Seventeenth Doll are three 
marvellous plays that, that Ray Lawler has created. And the first, as I said, is Kid Stakes, has Ruth Cracknell, of course, has a fantastic cast, Ruth Cracknell, Celia de Berg, Harold Hopkins, Steve Bisley, Heather Mitchell and James Higgins playing the, 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 the small part of Dickie Pouncet. I, I thought it was a fantastic production which the Sydney Theatre Company have put together and brought to Melbourne um, as, as part of the, the celebrations, Victoria's 150th birthday celebrations. I'd seen it originally at the Melbourne Theatre Company when John Sumner did, did the whole trilogy there when Ray first wrote these plays and they've been rewritten for, for as a result of the, the working at the Melbourne Theatre Company and now this production. It's been restaged by um, Wayne Harrison and it was designed by Brian Thompson who of course did uh, Shirley Thompson versus the Aliens and Hair and Rocky Horror Show and I've worked with Brian a lot. He also did Winnie the Pooh with me years and years and years ago. It's... it's um, I think a play that works very well, I think the three plays work very well, but the thing that, that really appeals to me most of all about them is that Ray Lawler has this enormous capacity to encapsulate the period, and, and that's the thing that I, I found most interesting about it. Well, things like the icebox, you know, it, 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 it's an era, and obviously the, the Emma doesn't want to let that era go because the refrigerator arrives and she looks from that as a bit of a threat doesn't she? Yes, absolutely. It, it's interesting that, that up until the 60s, um, when, when the second, as I was saying, the second generation of Australian, uh, Italian and Greek children started to grow up, uh, Australia was, was, was very much a land of meat and potatoes. Mm. And, and I think that it's uh, interesting to go back and see. It's like a time warp, really, with, with, with kids' stakes, that that you see Titchy Munro, the, the rabbit man who comes, <laughs> and the icebox man, and, and all of those those marvellous characters. Mm. But the thing that I found most interesting about it is the use of the language in the play, that, that he does he does have this whole thing of, of making it, the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s, and even to the early 60s, and, and then it disappeared. Yes. Another thing that uh, reminded me of uh, the past times was the bottled beer carried in a kit bag. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, that, that really belongs to their yes. era, doesn't it? I think it's even interesting that, that people are suddenly realising that, that, that Australia, from the, you know, the turn of the century right through until the 50s or the 60s, has a great deal of history there to offer and a great deal of colour and, and whatever that can be offered to plays and to, to films and to, to literature. And it's, it's marvellous that, that their people are, are starting, Australians are starting to appreciate and we're not being fed so much a stable diet of the English and the American anymore. Mm. I think that, that, that's a marvellous change for, yeah. for the better. Yes. There are a lot of laughs in Kid Stakes, a lot that I, I didn't really expect, having read the script. It doesn't immediately come across that way, but uh, the people I was with enjoyed it immensely. But at the same time, what I like about Ray's work is that there's an underlying sadness about it. Yes. Don't you think? You can, you can see that these people are going to mess up their lives. Yes, it's... Uh it was very much, I think, a thing of that period, wasn't it? Because the, the, the social morality of, of, of the country was so peculiar. Well, mm. well, of the whole world, not only Australia, but, but it was, you know, strange enough, they say it was, was really the First World War that saved England if that war hadn't come along. I mean, it was, it was such a decadent society that suddenly the First World War blew it all open and people were suddenly, an egalitarian, egalitarian society started to emerge. And I think the same thing was happening here. We were coming up to the Second World War and 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 people realized that perhaps things were not going to be quite so quite as they had been in the past and would never be the same again and I think that that all of that comes through in the writing and and in the playing of the people I think Ruth Cracknell as Emma is yeah. just 
brilliant. I, mm. I went back and said to Ruth, I had a little chat to her after it because uh, she, she's kind of chum of a lot of my chums. I didn't mm. know her very well. And she said it's the thing that she really has enjoyed most. And, and the reaction from the people in the streets that have seen it is really quite remarkable. Yeah. But I think that she is, and with due respect to Monica Morn and to, to Irony Inescort, I think that, that Ruth is, is the best Emma I've seen mm. over the years. Mm. Fantastic performance. What do you think of the two fellows? To, to me, they are ideal. I mean, they, they look like fellows who would perhaps ca cut cane for seven or eight months of the year and, and come down to Melbourne for a, for a, a layabout season. Yes, I, I, while I'm able to appreciate what Steve Bisley has done, I, I wasn't quite sure that I agreed with his interpretation of the role. I found his playing of, of Rue that kind of jolly, affable, rather bit simple, a bit bordering on, on the kind of the simple thing. I found that a bit worrying. I didn't believe, I found it difficult to reconcile in my mind that this man who was all of those things that I've just said was able to quote huge slabs of the Bible. In fact, I think he'd learned the whole of the, of the, of the Old Testament, hadn't he? I mean, yeah. beginning at Genesis and ending with whatever it is that it ends with. All those begets. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I wasn't able, as I say, to really be able to believe in my own mind that he could do all that. The people around me, I have to say, did. Mm. They, they had no problems coming to terms with any of that. I thought that, um, that uh, uh, Harold Hopkins, I couldn't think of his name, Harold Hopkins as, as uh, Barney was yeah. wonderful. I liked the kind of smallness of the performance and, mm. and the kind of wiriness of his characterization. Mm. He was terrific. I thought Heather Mitchell as, as Nancy brought, brought some lovely qualities to it. I'm not sure that she has quite the same one-line comic timing that Sandy Gore has. Sandy Gore has that inordinate capacity to be able to say, pass the mustard, and she says it in such a way she makes you laugh. I'm not sure that Heather was able to bring quite that same subtlety to the performance. I, I thought that Celia de Berg as, as um, Nancy, not as Nancy, as Olive mm. Leach, the daughter, uh, was was excellent. I I liked what she did with with that character. You get so much with the production too. I I, I like the music of the times that we hear. Mm. Uh, you also see uh, Ruth Cracknell watering the garden out the back. Yes. I mean all these things that I don't think are in the stage directions. No. You know, and you see her bedroom yes. above. You know. I think that's Brian Thompson. That that he he's very good at period stuff, particularly Australian period stuff from 30s, 40s, and 50s. The 50s is his favourite period, as as I recall. But he's very good with the 30s and the 40s and and he he, he tends to specialize in that uh, and I think if you went and looked at a terrace house in Carlton which is where it's set you would see that that mm. he's obviously spent a lot of time looking at them and thinking I like the split level thing of being able to see her go up to her bedroom mm. and, and climb into bed and, and lying there and and then the thing of watering the garden the marvelous mm. thing of hosing him with when yeah. he when he's yeah. driving her mad Mm. I, I gave it uh, uh, quite a high mark, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I can thoroughly recommend it. I think Kid Stakes is, a, is an excellent production and one well worth seeing. Yes, I can't wait to see the other two parts. Me too, me too. Is it a good season coming up for the MTC? Well, it is indeed. I, I thought it might be interesting to, to have a quick look or have a quick chat about uh, three that they're doing at the Arts Centre in, in the Playhouse. The first is, is Victoria Bitter, uh, and then they're following that with a thing called Trumpets and Raspberries, and then, of course, at Christmas time, the, the, uh, the offering then is Sentimental Bloke. Victoria Bitter is, is an Australian piece which is written by Michael Gua and Lawrence Houseman, and it, it's uh, the thing of Queen Victoria 
there and, and another little kind of girl who has the same name as in Australia and, and the difference in their lifestyles. And it, it, it's a celebration piece about Victoria's 150th birthday, which, which looks to be very interesting. The music's by, by uh, Martin Friedel, and I'm, I'm looking forward to that. It's going, Ray Law is going to, to uh, direct, and it's got a good cast, Anne Scott Pendlebury, uh, Lee Morgan as, as Queen Victoria. Then the second one is Trumpets and Raspberries, which is a Dario Faux play, which is a play of mistaken identity, and Peter Cummins is, is playing the role in that. I, I love Peter's work. I mm. think he's very clever. And then Sentimental Bloke, as I said, uh, is coming on at Christmas well, time, December 12th. Yes, mm. and that's one that, that they really should, people should go and see. It's the original music by George Dreyfus mm. that they're going to use. So... That, I think it's a very exciting uh, season there at the at the Playhouse for the Melbourne Theatre Company. Roland Roccicelli, thank you very much. Thank you.
Tommy Dorsey, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes, music from the period of Kid Stakes, 1937, the year that particular track was recorded. Other Times takes us to 1945, and the summer of the 17th doll is set in 1953. The program from the Doll Trilogy is worth looking at. It's a pictorial history of the summer of the 17th doll, including some of the notices, some of the cartoons in newspapers around the world, too pictures of the Johannesburg production, some of the stills from the film production, you know, with United Artists, and Anne Baxter and Ernest Borgnine, John Mills, Angela Lansbury. It's really uh, an interest-packed program. 25 minutes past nine, the Sunday show on 3LO. We're rearranging things because at 28 past ten, we're crossing to White City in Sydney for the Davis Cup reverse singles. Commentators will be Clark Hansen and John O'Reilly. We'll have Jean Pitney and then Sheila Scott is coming in.
the close of last week's program, I mentioned that this week Sheila Scotter would be in to reveal something of interest to us. Sheila is Vice Chairman of the Victoria State Opera Foundation, and I welcome her to the Sunday Show. Good morning, Sheila. Good morning. All right, tell us what it's all about. <laughs> well, we have a great big coup here. The, uh, uh, I suppose, the greatest mezzo-soprano, really, we could call her Dame Kelly Tikhanawa, is having an Australian tour and her only concert in Melbourne, one night only in September, she has graciously agreed that it can be an aid of the Victoria State Opera Foundation. In other words, we're going to make it a very big gala benefit, you know, with all the sort of trimmings, and uh, we're really thrilled about it. I must say, in fairness to all the people who don't live in Victoria, and perhaps, you know, you're heard in the other states, she is singing in Adelaide and Sydney and Canberra, only one night in each. She is a person who's, um, I think, rightly, if you're a singer, doesn't really like going to parties because there's so many of those nasty smokers about. Yes. And, uh, but she has agreed to uh, come for an hour and perhaps even more at a party after the, the concert on September the 18th. It's a Wednesday. And it's at the Victoria, uh, the Art Centre, Concert Hall of the Victorian Art Centre, I should say. And she's going to be present and we'll meet a few people who've been invited who are, who are naturally people who are sponsors and donors and who've supported the concert. But what we're doing is we're making it a very big, the nicest concert she can have. The orchestra is the Australian Chamber Orchestra conducted by a good friend of hers and a good friend of ours. I'm sure yours too, Laurie, and certainly mine, John Hopkins. And the programme, I think, is going to be lovely. It's a lot of Mozart and a group of Italian songs and a group of French songs. But it is really something, because she hasn't sung here since um, 1965, I think it was, when she won the Sun Aria. Goodness me, 20 mm. years ago. She, yes, she sang believe, in Sydney mm. um, some time ago, I think two years ago, something like that. But, um, well, you've probably heard her in Covent Garden, and I've seen her in various operas, but... Um, She's been to New Zealand too, but she hasn't sung in Melbourne, so it's a mm. great thing, and uh, we're thrilled as the foundation because we are uh, really, uh, we were established to strengthen the financial base of the Victoria State Opera Company, and it's things like this that you can raise quite big money. That's mm. quite a coup. Now, what price will the tickets be, Sheila? They're going to be from uh, 20, there's three prices, 28.50. $45 and $75, which is not too greedy when you think of this wonderful song and vo wonderful voice and all the songs she's going to sing. And she's singing the whole program. There's no kind of build-up to it or a mm. substitute or anything in the beginning. And um, e practically every seat in that hall, which, as you know, John Truscott designed, is a good one. It really is, oh, yes. so that uh, I think 2850 is quite good, there's plenty of that, and, uh, and also the ones behind the choir, what we call the choir stalls, they've given us those as well. And so I think, uh, I must warn your listeners, or our listeners this morning, that um, the general public booking is not open yet with Bass until I think about the 10th, 9th or 10th of August. Right, watch the papers for details. And Well, yes, because the Sun newspaper is helping us enormously because they, um, you know, she won the Sun Aria. Mm. And uh, so they're starting, we're, we're starting some advertisements with them for the concert, I think, again, about the 9th or 10th of August. Mm. Well, okay. it may be a long while before we see her again in Melbourne. Maybe, I think, because, uh, well, you know, she, I think she loves coming here, you see, because her father, or stepfather, I think it is, in, in New Zealand, she visits quite frequently, and I think she and her husband both like 
holidays. I think right now they're in Dunk Island on holiday, I think. I'm mm. probably letting out a secret. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> we'll have everybody flying in to see her. Yes, but, but knowing uh, how much in mm, demand she is. Mm, yes, mm. so we're very thrilled because... Um, you know, we've got a lot of members of the foundation, but we're looking for more, if you have any more that want to come and join us. Mm. We have um, lots of things we can give them. One of the nicest things now, which we finalised is, and that was only be delayed because of the facilities not being quite ready, at the um, State Theatre, when we have a night on, uh, night the VSO is performing at the State Theatre, there is now a lounge where we can, the foundation members can have drinks in the interval, and which are... Uh, we, we allow at the moment uh, a member to bring only one guest. We're hoping to see how it works out. But of course, we'd rather have members than guests. <laughs> so then, but we have uh, priority booking privileges and we have permanent seats in the subscription of their choice. And we have lots of discounts from rather nice bookshops and gramophone record shops like Discurio and Thomas Records. The National Trust Bookshop give us discounts. So do Webber's and so do Travel Book. They call themselves Travel Books Cookbooks, which is the name of a shop. And um, we have a, a joining fee, which is really a donation. It's $50, and that can be tax deductible. And then it's only $25 a year, and you're supporting your own state opera. Mm. Now, how can people get in touch? Well, they can write into um, to either to me, but really to we've got a marvellous organiser, an executive organiser, Avril Everingham. And but even if they just write to the VSO and mark it for the Victoria State Opera Foundation, that's at 370 Nicholson Street. And if they want any um, particulars about the concert, they really should ring Avril Everingham at that number, which is 5061 and, um, uh, you know, we'd send out the, the relevant papers mm. or the relevant booking form. We're putting for this concert, actually, one of the things I'm so busy at the moment is putting together a super glossy brochure, uh, not brochure, sorry, program, uh, prestige souvenir program, which I think will be lovely. And we've got a lot of support. I'm not going to tell you the number of pages because I don't do it until they've, all the checks are in, but we've got a great big support, really, from leading companies and banks and all sorts of nice people. So we're really very thrilled. I think it's going to be one of the terrific evenings in September. We've got the police band and we're going to have horses and searchlights and all the rest of it. And all the governors are away. Every governor's away, as it happens. Uh -huh. But uh, including the governor of New Zealand, who I asked as well. He's got state visitor. He's not away, but couldn't come. But anyhow, the premier's there and I think the prime minister might be coming. Oh, well, I hope you're coming, Laurie. You like music. Oh, and Dame one of the great voices. Well, thank you for coming in. Uh, it's a great thrill to hear of an event like this in September, and uh, bookings in about what five or six days' time. Yes, about the ninth, mm. I think, or tenth of August at best, the normal way, you know. All right, mm -hmm. Sheila Scotter, thank you so much. Thank you. Well,